Thank you so much for that introduction, Deb. So thank you all for all the folks that are joining us um, for part two of our single cell RNA-seq data analysis and interpretation. Yesterday was, uh, was a hoot. We went through CLC Genomics Workbench, where we processed our single cell sequencing data from FASTQ all the way to uh, differential expression um, lists and different views like heat maps and whatnot. So today, we are going to be using ingenuity pathway analysis to make sense of that data, right? We have this list of genes. What does it exactly mean, especially in the context of my experiment? So I am very excited to show you guys how to use IPA for single cell sequencing analysis. I'm just checking on that poll and it looks like uh, overwhelming majority of you guys, looks like 83% of you have never used IPA for single cell um, analysis. So very excited to show you because I think it is a wonderful tool for uh, this type of data. So of course we have our legal disclaimer, collagen products shown here are intended for molecular biology applications. These products are not intended for the diagnosis, prevention or treatment of a disease. And once again, we love to keep these webinars interactive. So please participate by filling out those polls during the meeting. It gives myself and my colleagues a lot more information and context of what you guys uh, wanna see, how you're doing, so on and so forth. So please uh, definitely fill up those polls. And then, of course, if you have any questions during the talk, please utilize the Q&A box that's located at the bottom of your screen. We have a few other folks that are on the call here that Deb mentioned to answer both your technical and sales-related questions. This is also where we will be taking uh, questions to answer live during a few Q&A breaks throughout the session today. You will be able to see a recording of today's presentation as well as yesterday's presentation by clicking on those registration links. Uh, it'll bring you to an on-demand version of yesterday's pr presentation. And immediately after uh, we're done with today, you'll be able to watch that one on demand as well. Another thing that I'd love to bring to your attention is this raise hand button at the bottom of the screen. I'll be utilizing uh, this feature of Zoom every once in a while to just ask you guys some quick questions to get uh, quick responses. So um, if you can look at the bottom of your screen there, you should see that raise hand button. And at this time, if you could give that a click just to make sure that everything is working, I would be much appreciative. Fabulous, looks like everybody is able to find that button and it is working, excellent. So let's get the show on the road. All right, so yesterday, or um, in part one of this training series, we took our FASTQ files and we went through CLC Genomics Workbench. Namely, we used a pre-configured uh, workflow, template workflow, that brings our data through all of the bits and pieces that we need to uh, perform on it to generate uh, interesting views and differential expression uh, at the end of this uh, pipeline. So we generated things like volcano maps. We looked at UMAP clustering of our single cell data. I showed you how to generate dot plots and heat maps of the gene expression of these different uh, cell clusters and cell types. So at the end of that session, we are left with a bunch of different uh, views and some differential expression data. 
But of course, we still have a lot of uh, outstanding questions about these about these data. So in the next couple slides, I just have some uh, kind of look-sees into a few questions that you know might arise out of these types of data sets. So for instance, uh, we were able to use CLC to develop a gene signature for neuronal uh, progenitor cells by grabbing uh, the gene expression information and seeing what is differentially expressed and what genes uh, tend to be um, the most differentially expressed between these two groups. And now, of course, we can expand those questions into a more systems biology type of approach, right? So here we can ask questions like, what pathways are involved in differentiation of neuronal progenitor cells into neurons? So we'll be able to look at all of our canonical pathways that are participating and that are um, either activated or inhibited between these two groups. We can even ask the question of what regulators might be driving this differentiation of the neuronal cells. So we can look at this also in a heat map version, but we can also have a look at this in a network map. So we can see all of the key players for these different networks that are being driven by a uh, upstream regulator here. So these uh, part two views are the types of things that we'll be looking at in IPA today. Another question that we were able to answer in CLC is, why is more one cluster more enriched for neurons than the other? So here we were able to um, have a look and see what types of neurons are clustering. So here we uh, generated kind of custom clustering where we grabbed all of these uh, neurons shown here in green, and then these guys down here in purple. And we asked the question to IPA, hey, what is going on between these two uh, populations of neurons here? So it looks like when we've run this through IPA and we look at the canonical pathway uh, results that are coming out, it looks like these two uh, different neuron uh, populations are in a uh, different state of differentiation. So the purple ones look like they are in a more mature state of differentiation when we compare them to the uh, green ones here. So this is a question that is being answered by CLC and IPA uh, together here. So just another quick overview as well. We were able to uh, take that UMAP and overlay in and ask the question of what different cell types are present in our UMAP and how are they clustering? And now we can take it again that step further and look at the differences in biology between these two groups. So for instance, when we are comparing uh, our cell types all of our cell types versus our neuronal progenitor cells. So here we have our different cell uh, types laid out in um, state of differentiation with astrocytes being the most differentiated and neuroblasts being the least differentiated. We can see different pathways kind of popping out here. For instance, sonic hedgehog signaling pathway. It looks like it is uh, in a more activated state when we kind of get to a more uh, advanced state of maturation here versus in a more inhibited state um, in those early progenitor cells here. We can then take that pathway and blow it up and look at all of the key genes that are contributing to that pathway and what they're doing across all of those different data sets. So here we have five individual data sets 
um, laid out here of our comparisons that we've drawn of cell types versus neuronal per, uh, progenitor cells as our baseline. If we can see that, uh, for instance, this GLI3 um, gene tends to be uh, upregulated in astrocytes, but it looks like it's in a more down-regulated state across all of the other um, cell type samples here. So this, again, can give us a really um, wonderful look into the biology of all of these different um, cell population, cell populations that we parsed out with single cell sequencing. Now, another very cool feature of IPA is we are able to take a data set. So for instance, we are asking the question here of, um, we have this number one cluster versus the rest of these cells. We um, generated a differ differential expression of uh, this cluster one versus the rest of everybody else. And we're looking at those differentially expressed genes here. Now we can go and look across IPA and all of the publicly available data that is present here um, to see where else are we seeing similar biological uh, effects happening. So where are we seeing all of these genes being upregulated out in publicly available um, data sets? So we can run this uh, matching type, uh, type of uh, exercise on not only your entire analysis, so from soup to nuts of your entire analysis, looking at things like canonical pathways, upstream regulators, disease enrichment, and um, causal networks, but then we can break it down and look for maybe uh, individual patterns seen within one network or individual patterns seen just for a particular pathway itself. So there's different levels of matching that we can do that I'll bring you through uh, today during our webinar here. So just to remind you, uh, we are using a case study um, we're still using that same case study that we used for our uh, part one of the CLC analysis, where we've taken uh, data from 10X, uh, where we have a thousand brain nuclei from an E18 mouse. We've subjected it to single cell sequencing using the 10X platform. We downloaded those results and we're able to use them today thanks to our Creative Commons uh, license down here. So that is, uh, again, the data that we'll be looking at today. So just a quick overview of today's agenda. So you can see over here on the left-hand side, I've kind of uh, grayed all the stuff out that we ran yesterday. So we spent lots of time playing around in CLC, generating UMAPs, uh, different cell clusters, different visualizations of differential expression, so on and so forth. So today we are going to be focusing our efforts on our Ingenuity Pathway Analysis software, where we will get that peak of the biology that's happening um, behind the scenes. Now, uh, with that, I hope I gave you a nice little hint as to what we will be looking at today in IPA. So I'm going to launch a, a uh, poll right now to get some feedback to make sure that these are the types of views that you guys are looking to uh, see today. And these are the type of views that you would want to look at when you're looking at single cell sequencing analysis. This um, illustration feedback would be super important to us, especially since a lot of you have not used IPA before. So if you had some other ideas or um, other views that you'd like to see, please pop them into the Q&A box or the chat box, and we will hopefully take some time at the end to maybe review some other views here. Thank you, everybody that is filling out that 
uh, poll here. Okay, before I launch into um, the softwares itself, I do want to remind you that we do have a lot of resources to help you out with. So if IPA is something brand spanking new to you, um, no uh, worries. We have lots of different previous recordings, step-by-step -step guides, data um, formatting, tips and tricks, so on and so forth, all listed out um, on this slide, as well as other multiple slides within this slideshow. So definitely um, feel free to take advantage of that type of stuff. So before we get into the software themselves, let's just talk about IPA, what it is, and why we're able to do so many interesting things with our data in IPA. So IPA is powered by our Kyogen knowledge base. What this knowledge base is, is it is a whole collection of over 12 million findings that have been manually curated using controlled vocabulary by a whole team of curation scientists that we have over here at Kyogen. So um, this again, I'm gonna really highlight the fact that this is all manually done um, because you know as we're going through these things kind of in our hands, we actually are coming across about uh, five to 10% of publications and data that is out there in the public um, that actually needs uh, has some uh, errors in it or some issues with it. And we need to go directly back to the author to try to uh, figure out what is exactly going on and correct that before it gets into our knowledge base. So that's one example of some um, kind of more severe things that we've encountered, as well as, you know, of course, there's always gonna be typos and all that sort of stuff in data that's out in the public. Um, domain. So we're trying to alleviate that um, issue for you guys by uh, manually curating all of this stuff and depositing it into our database using this controlled vocabulary. So this makes it very easy to run queries and um, outline relationships between, say, uh, gene protein or um, drug gene type interactions, all sorts of things. So this culmination of um, all of this curation, this has resulted in decades worth of uh, accumulated knowledge. So we've been doing this for uh, about 20 years now. So you can imagine that's where all of these, uh, you know, millions of findings are coming from. You can also rest assured that IPA is kept up um, to speed with, uh, with uh, weekly updates of the latest and greatest in publications. We also do run quarterly updates, um, dragging in anything from say um, consortium data to user um, you know, uh, updates to make the experience a little bit better, so on and so forth here. So every connection in IPA, like I said, is backed by these literature findings. And when you're looking at these uh, different views and maps in IPA, all of these things are interactive. So you're able to click on these lines and say, all right, I wanna see what the relationship between GFAP and HSPA5 is. So by double clicking on this line, you'll launch this relationship summary that will give you a nice Cliff Notes version of what's going on in that relationship, as well as some handy links that will bring you out to the literature that we have uh, 
uh, curated to contribute to this relationship, as well as some links to find out more about the genes themselves or the proteins themselves. So again, all of these nodes and lines are all clickable to give you all of this relationship information, uh, kind of served up on a silver platter so you guys don't have to spend your time fishing around in PubMed for this type of stuff. Now, along with that uh, knowledge base and the relationship data, we are also tapping into our omics soft land data. So these are expertly curated omics data sets. So again, we have our knowledge side of uh, our knowledge base or our curation, and then we have our omics data sets. So this is where those same curators are grabbing data from different um, sources here. We are redoing the metadata curation, again, using that controlled vocabulary in a manual uh, way here. We are also reprocessing the data to make sure that all of the data is harmonized. So you're able to make comparisons across multiple different experiments and, didn't, and it not matter where it's coming from, right? It's from TCA, uh, TCGA or from uh, GTEx, so on and so forth. Everything that has been run for RNA sequencing has all gone through similar pipelines here. So we take that data and we run some uh, data analysis with it and bring to you some comparisons and statistical modeling that we deposit into our LANS database, which we also have included a subset of those samples in the IPA uh, interface here. So you have well over 135,000 different disease relevant uh, data sets that will enable us to do that really cool matching that I had mentioned before. So that matching, we are able to match on say a single entity. So we can ask the question of where else do we see the NRF2 uh, mediated oxidative response pathway in an inhibited state? Where else in those publicly available data? Or we can uh, search on a pattern. So we can look at an entire network and say, all right, where do I see similar patterns for um, upregulation or downregulation of these genes out in the publicly available data? And then finally, we can match your entire analysis, again, from soup to nuts, across four uh, important facets of your analysis and ask the question of where do we see kind of uh, similar biology happening in publicly available data, or where do I see the opposite uh, biology happening in publicly available data across your entire analysis here. So hopefully that gave you a nice flavor of what IPA is and what it can do for you. So let's pop over into our softwares. So I am going to start in CLC Genomics Workbench um, to begin because we do have a very handy plugin that will allow you to seamless, seamlessly transport your data from CLC Genomics Workbench over to IPA kind of behind the scenes with relatively uh, little kind of heavy lifting here. So that uh, IPA um, feature in CLC is a plugin. And if you remember from yesterday, from part one, we talked about the different plugins and those are um, can be found in the upper uh, right hand corner of your screen. So underneath my video, if you're watching this on um, replay here, so go ahead and give that plugins uh, button a check and you'll be able to see all of the different plugins that are available either for download or that have been uh, previously downloaded um, to your instance here. So I did previously download the IPA plugin here 
and I can scroll down in my list and you can see that we have this Ingenuity Pathway Analysis plugin. So this is one that you'd wanna download. And again, make sure that you are running CLC in, admini in uh, administration mode here. So that'll allow you to uh, change those uh, plugins here. So once you have downloaded this plugin, it will show up in your toolbox. So again, on the uh, left-hand bottom corner of your screen, we have our toolbox where we played around with some of the workflows and some of the individual tools uh, yesterday. So as we're looking at this toolbox, you'll notice that we have uh, Ingenuity Pathway Analysis popping up here. This is after we've downloaded that um, plugin. So what we're gonna do here is we're gonna double click on this tool that is titled Pathway Analysis. This will launch a very easy wizard uh, guided um, tutorial that will bring you through the process of setting this stuff up and sending it over to IPA to run um, and be ready for your analyses. So when we open up this um, interface here, the first thing that it typically will ask you is where do you wanna run this? So of course, we're just gonna run it on our laptop. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, so it's uh, already skipped by that. And it's moved right into step two. So this is um, what differential expression uh, groupings do we want to run IPA on? So for today, what um, was done is we created some differential expression looking at neuronal progenitor cells as our baseline and comparing these other um, five different cell neural cell groups against that baseline of neural progenitor cells here. So I'm going to choose all five of those elements from my uh, navigation area over here. So that's just simply highlighting these guys and then kicking them over using these little arrow over buttons. So once they're populated in the selected elements field, we're just going to go ahead and click on that next button. So the first thing that we're gonna wanna do is we want to log into IPA through the interface here. I've already done that, um, but you would see this uh, button title changing from log out to log in. You just click on that and it'll bring you through some web pages to make sure that you're logged into IPA. So we are good to go with that already. And then the next spot on the screen is going to be, um, what do you want to name this project? So how do you want it to appear in IPA? And do you want to just upload the data or do you want to upload and also create core analyses for all of these different um, differential expression data sets? So in our case, I would select this upload and analyze uh, today. So once that is all uh, set, we're going to go ahead and click on that next button. Now here are some different parameters that we will be setting. So this first um, step that we're gonna get to, this is step number four, is our upload parameters. So a good kind of rule of thumb is try to upload as much as you possibly can. So for RNA sequencing data, this could be, um, for RNA sequencing single cell data rather, this could be upwards of, you know, like 10,000 different um, genes that have been measured in your RNA um, sequencing um, set that has been detected over kind of your uh, background noise here. So generally um, we'll set these p-values and the fold changes and our minimum 
um, expression filter to be um, as kind of all encompassing as we possibly can. So here I'm just double checking to make sure that these features uploaded are quite large. So we're um, capturing everything that we possibly can in our upload. So once that is done, we're gonna go ahead and click the next button. So the next step is gonna be the step five where we're gonna be setting some analysis parameters. So in that upload, we've uploaded everything that we possibly can. And now during step five, we are gonna cut back on the um, fat of the uh, experiment and get to the meat and potatoes of our experiment here. So what we wanna do is look for what genes are contributing to the biology that we see in our experiment. So what we're gonna do here is we're gonna set a couple cutoffs. The first one that we're gonna wanna set is gonna be our p-value cutoff. So this is going to um, hone in on those genes that have uh, passed a significance cutoff here. You can feel free to use either uh, standard or FDR or Bonferroni, whichever um, floats your boat here. So that will be the first cutoff that we'll want to apply to get to our statistically significant genes. And the next one that we'll want to do is a uh, full change cutoff. Now, the name of the game here is to create an analysis that is as clean as we possibly can get it. So that means we want to aim to have our analysis uh, use a about anywhere from 100 to 3,000 different features or genes uh, uh, passing through these, these cutoffs here. So for instance, right now, we have a kind of loose filter um, set up here. So it looks like we are going to try to analyze um, using well over 8,000 genes for some of these different uh, comparisons. So that is certainly way above that 3,000 uh, cutoff. And actually, there is a hard stop at 8,000 genes um, that you're going to be uploading into IPA before it says, hey, this is way too many. And you're getting um, probably a lot of noise uh, included in your data set here. Now, of course, with any data set, you may get fewer than 100 uh, detected genes that are passing through these cutoffs. No need to worry here. You can still run your analysis. It just might not be as fleshed out as maybe an analysis that was run with, say, 2,000 or 3,000 different features. And then it is uh, worthwhile to say you could run these analyses with more than 3,000 uh, features, but just be mindful that you're introducing a little bit of noise and background into your analysis here. So in this uh, particular interface, we have a couple options here. You can either um, choose your analysis cutoff yourself and say, I wanna do a two-fold cutoff for my data, or I wanna do a log to ratio cutoff for the data, or you can use this really um, handy automatically calculate the full change cutoff. So what this is gonna do is it's gonna look at your uploaded data and say, what type of full change do we need to apply here to get to our target of between 100 and 3000 different features. So I'm gonna actually just click that on and you'll see here that that has greatly uh, reduced the amount of features analyzed versus the features uploaded here. So it's kind of trying to fit everybody into that ballpark. 
So it looks like we do have a couple data sets that are going to be using over 3000 genes. No biggie, but we'll just remember that we might see a little bit more noise in those data sets. But once we are satisfied with that, we're gonna go ahead and click on that next button. So here is where we will get this uh, select reference data for analysis. So there's gonna be two different options that we can go with here. We can either go with the ingenuity knowledge base genes only. So this will have a look at all of the genes that you possibly could measure or, and are included in our knowledge base. So this is a great option for RNA sequencing since we are um, technically able to measure anything and everything that is present in um, RNA. Or if you were using more targeted panel, you could choose um, to use uh, uploaded data set as your reference data for analysis. This will affect um, your p-values and make your p-values more, uh, more kind of in line with what you would expect them to be, to be more correct rather, um, because we're calculating those p-values based on the correct uh, reference universe here. But for our case, we're just gonna keep it set at ingenuity knowledge base. And um, for you guys, you would be clicking on that finish button and it would just ship everything off to IPA to run on IPAs on our servers and then it would alert you when those analyses are done and ready for you to have a look at. So I have already done this behind the scenes because it does generally take anywhere from like 15 to 30 minutes, depending on how busy that server is. So again, like I did yesterday, I'm doing the cooking show trick and I've already pre-baked all of the cookies so we can look at them together in IPA right now. So I'm gonna go ahead and click on the cancel button rather than that finish button. And we are going to pop over into Ingenuity uh, Pathway Analysis now. So I'm just getting that uh, software up and running so I can introduce you uh, to the interface itself. So there's, once again, lots of things to just be mindful of when you're cruising around in the software. Um, one of the first things that you will see when you open up IPA is going to be this really handy uh, kind of quick start guide. So let me bring that over here into our shared screen here. In this quick start guide, it'll give you um, a whole wealth of information, uh, different tutorials and walkthroughs, as well as how to contact support. So this can be uh, really helpful when you're first getting started with IPA here. Another great place to remember is this help menu at the top. Again, lots of tutorials, our documentation, the full-blown legend to um, try to decipher what everything is in IPA. So all of that lives under this help menu. Over here, you'll see your project manager. So you can think of this once again as like a Windows file explorer of where did all of your data um, get uploaded to, where are all your analysis analyses um, living. So we can see here, I have our single cell RNA-seq E18 mouse folder, where we, when we open that up, we can see we have a bunch of data set files. So here's our five data set files that we uploaded. And here are the five core analysis that ran behind the scenes here. So all of those are ready and waiting for us to um, analyze that I launched from that CLC Genomics Workbench um, interface. Now, uh, just by a show of hands, who here has differential expression data from RNA, um, from single cell sequencing, or even bulk RNA sequencing that's not coming out of CLC? So if you guys could give um, a hand raised, 
Awesome. It does look like there's a good amount of you. Yeah, thank you for that. When you have differential expression data that is not coming from CLC. So I did want to just show you really quickly where the um, workflow lives to get that stuff uploaded and into IPA. So if you have a differential expression sheet uh, file here, what you're going to do is you're going to go to the create new button and you're going to go to this core analysis, this very top, um, top uh, choice here on the menu. This will launch a wizard guided tutorial. Well, first it'll ask you, hey, where is the data that you want to upload here? So we'll just click on that quick upload button and you can uh, go out and grab a data set that you want to upload into IPA. You'll then cruise through a um, upload um, interface here, which don't worry, I'm not gonna be going through this in detail today, but we have lots of step-by-step -step guides to show you guys how to do that and um, what all of these different dropdowns mean, what these different buttons mean. But pretty much in a nutshell, what you're doing here is you're just telling IPA what all of these individual columns are, right? We have our gene identifiers. We might have our gene name, so a couple columns of identifiers. We then might have a fold change and a p-value, so on and so forth. So you're going to be using these drop-down menus just to tell IPA what these data um, are and what observation or comparison they belong to, because you can upload more than one comparison in one shot to IPA. So definitely please refer to all of those links that we have embedded in the, um, in the PowerPoints to show you how to set that stuff up. Now, um, the next spot that you would be um, traveling to if you are setting up your analysis would be a spot where you are um, just creating a core analysis and you want to apply your uh, apply your cutoff. So just like we did in the CLC uh, plugin here, you'll be doing the same in the IPA interface. Once again, those step-by-step -step guides will um, talk about this stuff at length. So don't feel like you're being shortchanged now. I promise you there's lots of information out there. But you can see that our cutoff um, area looks a little bit different. And we're gonna be taking that analysis ready molecule list down to uh, be between that 100 and 3,000 um, analysis ready molecules across observations. Excuse my chicken scratch there. But same exact thing that we did in CLC, we're just doing it through a different interface here. So once you are um, all set with that, you would just click on that run analysis button and send it off to our servers um, to run. And like I said, it takes about anywhere 15 to 30 minutes. So, you know, run to your favorite coffee shop and come back and this stuff will uh, be ready for you to look at. You'll get an email telling you that your um, analysis is ready to, ready to rock and roll, as well as um, if you still have IPA open, a little banner will pop up at the bottom saying, hey, my analysis is finished and you can have a look at it now. All right, so we've gone through a lot so far. We went through the CLC uh, Genomics Workbench IPA plugin to get your data seamlessly from CLC into IPA. And then of course, I just gave you a quick kind of tour around IPA and showed you uh, where to click to get started if you're uploading your own data that's not coming out of CLC. 
So with that, I would love to take a pause here and see if there are any questions that have um, arisen as we have been going through things here. Thank you, Kristen. And as always, we'll also ask our attendees some questions. One is about the pace of the presentation. Do you think we are moving at a good pace or do you feel otherwise? And second, I'm sorry, I have probably poorly worded this, but we really want to get your feedback on splitting this training into two parts, right? Like, how do you feel about that? Um, because there are questions that came in regarding certification, I am repasting the link in the chat box. And I also noted that some people join like 15, 20 minutes into the presentation. So for your sake, I am uh, repasting the slides. Now, this is something you very nicely just covered, Kristen. All right. You told people that you can use, um, you know, data that are coming from CLC, outside of CLC. However, there were two separate questions that came on came up, came up on the same topic. So let's uh, just make sure that we pass the right message to all of our audience one last time. Um, can a person bring data into IPA that are not generated in CLC? Absolutely. So very um, simplified kind of answer to this is what we want to put into IPA is going to be some sort of differential expression list. So that's going to be your differentially expressed genes between your different comparisons. Maybe even it's differential uh, proteomic ex expression. So you can get proteomic data in here, microRNA, uh, meta uh, metabolic data, so on and so forth. So you need a differential expression list with change values and p-values is generally what you want to uh, input into IPA here. All right. And this is something, as I mentioned, Kristen, very nicely covered, right? Like what if you have CLC? What if you don't have CLC? And if you listen to the recording for today's presentation, uh, Kristen covered like both options. If you have CLC, you do this. If you don't have CLC, you upload data the way Kristen just um, uploaded. And uh, another thing is... Uh, when it comes to both CLC and IP, there is often confusion. Like, can it just do single cell? I mean, can it also do RNC? Can it also do microarray, proteomics? Absolutely. Yeah, it can do everything. Um, all of the above there. So the world's really your oyster with IPA. You can look at single cell sequencing. You can look at maybe even spatial transcriptomics. You can look at bulk RNA sequencing, um, variant type stuff, uh, metabolomics. Uh, microRNA has some really wonderful features to help uh, sort through that data. So yes, the answer is absolutely um, any any sort of omics data really that you're trying to get biological insights from um, would be really, um, you know, IPA would be beneficial for those for those data sets. Wonderful. And I know you have more to cover. So one last question. Um, uh, one of the things you mentioned is bulk RNC-seq, right? And I know for sure that there are a lot of people who are using IPA for that and who might be interested in using for that. So where would be a, a good place they can find like walkthrough for something like that? Absolutely. So some great uh, tutorials here would be available in that quick start guide here. So if you had bulk, maybe you'd want to go to our um, mRNA. If you had phosphochromiomic data, you can go here. Another place that you can visit would be our help um, our help menu up here where you'll see a bunch of tutorials um, listed out as well as video tutorials. So depending on kind of what your favorite flavor of learning is, um, whether it's watching a video or reading a PDF, 
everything is there. And then of course, definitely not least, there's always us. We are more than happy to um, spend time one-on-one -on -one and make sure that you are able to do whatever you um, wanna do in IPA. So definitely reach out to us and we can help you out there. All right, and thank you everyone for participating in the poll. I see that small percentage of you are requesting to go faster. If there's a specific topic that, that, that your guys are eagerly waiting for, just type that down in Q&A box and we'll make sure that Kristen thoroughly covers that uh, in this presentation. With that, back to you, Kristen, and to our attendees, continue submitting questions. Kyle and I will help answer, and Kristen will also take questions live very soon. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dev, for that. Okay, so we have our data now in IPA. It is run on the servers. It's done its thing. So we are left with um, five different data sets that we've uploaded and five different core analyses. Now we can spend time going through all of these individual core analyses kind of one by one and get insights from each of them. However, one of the wonderful features of IPA is the ability to take numerous data sets and put them all side by side in one space to have a really nice kind of 30,000 foot view of all of those data sets side by side. Now that is going to be done through setting up a comparison analysis. So after you've uploaded your differential expression lists and you've created your core analyses from those differential expression lists, you have the ability to put all of those side by side. And to do so, what we're gonna do is we are going up to this create new button right here. And you'll notice that the second thing on the list is going to be this comparison analysis. So we're gonna go ahead and give comparison analysis a check. So create new comparison analysis. We'll get this wizard that pops up and asks the question of what analyses do you want to look at side by side? So you can scroll through all of the different projects that you've created. So in our case, I'm gonna open up my single cell sequencing uh, folder here. I'm gonna grab all five of these data sets where we looked at all these uh, different cell types versus our um, NPC cells. And I'm gonna click on this little add button in the middle. That'll pop them over into the pane uh, for analyses to compare. If we wanted to order them in a specific way, we could utilize these little buttons right here to move up or down, but we can actually do that in the um, interface itself looking at all the data. So from here, I'll just say, let's go ahead and view this comparison of all five of these data sets. So when that gets set up, the very first thing that we are going to encounter is a uh, heat map looking type of uh, plot here, where we have all of our canonical pathways listed out uh, along um, this list here that have some sort of significance for um, any or one of these uh, five data sets here. So you can imagine this list is um, can be quite long. And as we scroll down, you'll see all of these different um, canonical pathways listed out here. Now, the colors that we see next to the um, canonical pathways are showing us whether or not this canonical canonical pathway has been um, predicted to be um, uh, activated or predicted to be inhibited. So I'm just going to pop back over to my slides, take a moment and talk about some of these colors that we'll be encountering in IPA. So there's really four very important colors to keep in mind as we're looking at things. 
So the first colors um, to keep in mind are going to be our reds and our greens. So the reds are going to be cases where something has been physically measured to be increased or upregulated. So these are your upregulated genes or upregulated proteins versus our, our uh, green colors are going to be genes or proteins that have a measured decrease going on. So again, this is coming straight up from your actual data set itself. Now, depending on the patterns that we see in your actual data set, we are going to be comparing that to what we have in our knowledge base. So for each of these um, canonical pathways, we have them you know, listed out in our knowledge base. We have all of the different genes that participate in those canonical pathways. And we also have um, information on whether or not we would expect that gene to be uh, upregulated or downregulated for a, the specific pathway to be activated. So that's where we have our activity prediction kicking in here. So again, we're comparing your actual data set measurements to what we have in the knowledge base listed out for patterns um, for an activated uh, pathway. And if a pathway matches that pattern of activation, this is where you're gonna see the orange color and it is predicted to be activated. And if it is not matching that expected pattern for activation, we're gonna go ahead and um, predict that pathway to be inhibited, right? The opposite of activation here. So um, just to kind of drive that point home, let's go back into our um, IPA software here. So again, all of these orange colors that we see here, these are instances where the pathway has been uh, predicted to be activated versus these blue colors are situations where the pathway has been um, predicted to be uh, inhibited. You'll also see some white pathways here and there, and that's just pathways where no clear signal was uh, able to be detected to point towards either um, uh, activation or inhibition here. So they're gonna be colored in white. Now remember, we have five different data sets here and we can see as we hover over them, you'll see the titles for all of our data sets. So let's first um, order them kind of um, in a logical order here. So we're gonna put them in uh, order of uh, progression through this neurogenesis. So let's take our most um, kind of uh, infantile types uh, cells and pop them over into the left-hand side. So neuroblast, I'm simply just gonna grab this with my mouse button and drag it over to be the first data set in the list. Now we can go and um, grab our neurons. So neurons are next in the list here. So let's pop that over here. Our middle, uh, middle uh, neurons are next. That's already in, a, in the spot it needs to be. Gabaragic uh, neurons here and then astrocytes. So now we generally have our data sets listed um, in a state of maturation here. So the more mature ones are on the right-hand side versus the more immature on the left-hand side. Now let's take a moment and resort these canonical pathways to um, be more orderly um, so we can kind of draw a little bit easier interpretations from them. So right now we are just sorted based on our score. 
So connected to that orange and blue color, we have a z-score. So the z-score for po positive z-scores are going to indicate um, uh, sets of data where we are matching to the expected uh, signal for activation of a pathway versus a negative z-scores are going to be situations where we are anti-matching to the expected uh, signal for activation. And those are going to be our blue pathways here. So right now we are just sorted by um, kind of the pathways that have the um, largest uh, absolute values are going to be floating towards the top here. That's a little arbitrary. So let's go ahead and change the sort method from score over to our hierarchical clustering. This will take and kind of cluster um, things together that have similar biologies kind of going on with each other. So now we can have a look at groups of different pathways and what they're doing across these five data sets. So again, a really awesome way to just look at multiple data sets all at once and get an idea of what's happening in these canonical pathways. So as we're kind of looking down these heat maps, one that stands out to me is going to be our sonic hedgehog signaling pathway here. So we can see that it tends to be in a predicted uh, inactivated state as we are in those kind of earlier stages of maturation. But as we move over into the astrocyte cell population, it looks like that guy is um, moving towards a more um, activated state here. So super interesting since that one is um, involved in um, you know, uh, neurogenesis here. And as we go down this list, you'll notice that there might be some other pathways that um, look interesting. Like here, aryl hydrocarbon receptors. Looks like we're going from an inactivated state to a more activated state. And as we scroll down a little bit more, you'll really start seeing some of these biological patterns um, rising to the top here, right? Where we're going from perhaps an inactivated state to a more activated state and vice versa. Maybe there's gonna be a lot of pathways that are activated at first and they're moving towards a more inactivated state. So this is a great way to just have a quick look at everything and um, you know, have a, have a good understanding of the biology that's going on here. So there's a couple things that we can do here. We can um, zero in on individual data sets uh, from these five that we have listed out here and have a look at uh, what is going on in the networks itself. So when we click into these little boxes next to um, these pathways, you'll notice, so I'm gonna click into the cell cycle control of, uh, I don't know what that last word is, chromosomal repl replication, here we go. So when we click on that little box, we'll get this uh, network uh, drawn out here where we have our different uh, data sets overlaid onto these networks here. So you can get an idea of here, we're looking at the pyramidal uh, neurons and what they're doing in this particular pathway here. So we have a bunch of different uh, genes that look like they were measured in our data set and they were measured to be decreased. And those decreased measurements have led to a lot of predicted inhibition of a lot of these molecules, which just generally lends itself to uh, show that this particular pathway is in a predicted inactivated state. 
Now, these network maps are interactive. So if you wanted to find out what is the relationship between two individual uh, molecules, you'll just give a double click. And this is where you'll get this uh, relationship summary, but you'll get the little kind of shorthand version of uh, what these relationships are. And if you wanted to see all of the different um, literature sources that this relationship information is coming from, you're gonna go ahead and click this little uh, link at the top here, and it'll bring you out to a web page that lists all of those relationships, as well as the PubMed um, IDs for those papers themselves. One thing I definitely want to remind you all of is in the help menu, we have this legend, which I like to call our secret decoder ring. And uh, this secret decoder ring will help you kind of grasp what's going on in these network maps. So everything that you see on that map has a meaning. So all of these different uh, shapes, all of the different acronyms and lines and arrowheads, all of this stuff means something, including all the colors. So if you wanted to learn more about what these all mean, please visit that help menu and um, open up that full legend uh, right here to get a, get a good look at that. Another thing that we can do is we can not only look at these network maps and the genes overlaid into them, but we can look at the genes themselves in kind of a heat map format. So if we were interested in say, looking at the genes that are contributing to our cell cycle control of uh, chromosomal replication, we can just simply click on this little gene heat map button. This gene heat map button will then pop out a uh, heat map of all of the genes that have been annotated to uh, be contributing to the signal seen for um, this particular uh, individual canonical pathway. And here are all of your genes listed. And remember the reds and the greens, uh, the red is pointing towards an upregulated gene, whereas the green is pointing towards a downregulated gene. Now we do have the ability to sort uh, this stuff and we can pop it into that hierarchical clustering. So this will cluster together genes that are kind of behaving um, in a similar uh, pattern across all of your data sets here. So very easy way to uh, view all of those genes and how they're contributing to the signal there. If you don't uh, prefer to look at things using these network maps over here um, on the right. Another thing that we could do is we could uh, open up the network to get a uh, more kind of in-depth look at this uh, network map itself where we can zoom in and maybe take advantage of some of the other tools that we have available um, in our, uh, in our um, network maps here. So I'll get into those um, in a few more minutes and how uh, those could be useful in your data sets here. So just going back to our um, heat map here of all of our canonical pathways, so you can see here, this is a really easy way to look at your single cell sequencing data by taking all of your different cell uh, types or your clusters or, or your, you know, your custom clusters, what have you, however you've designed your experiment, what different uh, things you wanna compare in your experiment, we're able to list those all out side by side and have a look at biologically what is going on with all of those data sets. Um, and how are they changing across these different data sets? Now, just by a quick raise of hands, who else here um, is running maybe different uh, 
data sets that have multiple doses or maybe multiple time points in your data set. Yeah, yeah. So that's always one of the things, right? We're not just running our experiments in a vacuum and just looking at maybe one time point or one dose. Here is an ability where we can take advantage of this comparison analysis and not only use it for the single cell sequencing data where we're looking at these different clusters or cell types, but we can take all of those time points, all of those different uh, dosages, and again, put them together in one very easy to kind of look at uh, heat map of, to have a look at biologically what's going on across all of these different um, facets of our um of our experiment there. So hopefully that gives you um, a good kind of look into how we can start using IPA to look at numerous data sets. In our case, our single cell sequencing uh, data sets where we're looking at all of those different cell types across uh, the board here and comparing them to that um, kind of naive uh, neuroprogenitor cell um, outlook here. We just had a look at all of the different network or all of the different canonical pathways, what exactly they are doing and what are all of the uh, genes that are contributing to the signal seen in all of these pathways. So at this point, since we've covered a good bit here, I would love to take another uh, Q&A break to see if there are any other questions that have risen up during uh, this um, time together here. Thank you, Kristen. And while Kristen has more to cover over IPA based on what you saw so far, do you think this is something that can be valuable to your research? Uh, do you have other opinion? We would love to know. Uh, some very relevant questions came up uh, for what you are covering, Kristen. One was about activity prediction. So you went over this, but can you elaborate one more time what activity prediction is in IPA? Absolutely. Let me actually um, unhide a slide for you. So this is a little bit more um, in-depth kind of look at how that activity prediction is made. So what we're doing is we are comparing your uh, data set gene measurements, right? So your actual data set gene measurements to what we would expect to see if a particular pathway were in an activated State. So in our knowledge base, we have all of these canonical pathways, upstream regulators, what have you. And we have lists of genes that contribute to the signal seen. And we have, are they typically upregulated or downregulated when this particular pathway is in an activated state? So when we take your data set and compare it to what we have in the knowledge base, we are asking the question of how well does your data match the actual um, expected pattern for activation here. So if the question, if the answer is, yeah, it mostly matched what we would expect to see if this pattern, if this pathway were activated. So your actual data measurements are mostly uh, matching to this pattern of um, activation. We can see here, I have a whole bunch of green check marks. That is going to calculate a positive Z-score which is pointing towards a predicted state of activation. So that's where you're gonna see that orange color uh, throughout IPA. Now the inverse of that is what if we have your data set measurement that's coming out of your sequencing experiment, what if it mostly doesn't match that expected uh, state for activation of a pathway? Well, in that case, we can say, all right, we're seeing the opposite um, signal 
for if we um, for an expected activated pathway. So in this case, it would be a mostly anti-matching to that expected state for activation. And we'll calculate this negative z-score. So the negative z-score is going to be pointing towards this blue color that you'll see throughout IPA. And these are cases where it looks like we mostly have situations where our expected does not match with our actual measurements. So again, pointing towards the opposite of activation, which is inhibition. So hopefully that kind of dug down a little bit deeper into how we make those um, activity predictions. If not, please reach out more than happy to um, elaborate a little bit further. Yeah, and a small note on this is Kyle has also pasted like a white paper on this, which goes into a lot of details, if that is what you're <laughs> interested in. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, second question that came up about pathways was, can you create the list of the genes within your data set that are involved in the pathways? And this pathways can be predicted, activated, or inhibited. Absolutely. So this is one of the coolest new features of IPA, um, I think, that, that we have uh, added in here, is you can take, um, say you have um, a specific thing that you guys are chasing after. You have a gene set where you know that these genes are, you know, in an upregulated or downregulated state when you're, say, um, treated with something or you're in a disease state. So you can actually add all of that information into IPA and then um, allow IPA to causally score that. So then you'll get your predicted activation inhibition or how well does this match my signature? How well does it anti-match the signature? That is absolutely something that you can do in IPA. Um, and clearly I am very um, excited about that feature. So if that's something that you would like to um, maybe visit, please reach out to us, to us individually um, and we can you know, be sure to go through that with you. Um, definitely. All right, Kristen. So there are more questions coming in. Uh, for attendees, please continue submitting questions. There's Kyle, there's myself. Uh, we will also help answer. But given time, I'm going to pass it back to Kristen. And what we'll do is, in addition to answering them in written format towards the end of the presentation, we'll also answer them out loud. Um, I will also request like a very small number of you who voted like maybe to let us know like you know, if there was a feature that you were looking forward to and we have not covered so far, but it is actually very good to see that majority of you voted that you know uh, the software and training were um, valuable. So with that, back to you, Kristen. Thank you so much, Dev. Okay, so um, before we leave this view, I did want to show you, so sometimes folks like to say, export this heat map or export export the actual um, image for the pathway itself. We do have the ability to export these things um, right here. So the Excel file or the image itself. Um, of course, this list is very, very long here. So feel free to take advantage of some of the filter criteria that we have kind of peppered throughout these um, pages here to really hone in onto the things that you want to be able to display in your um, exports here. So the next stop in our analysis, so we've looked at all of our canonical pathways. Um, those are important cell signaling and metabolic pathways. 
um, that are important for all sorts of different facets of biology. So the next stop is going to be our upstream analysis. So in upstream analysis, we'll be able to see um, upstream regulators that are helping control the changes that we see in our canonical pathways and in the experiment itself. So once again, we are presented with another heat map type situation where we have all of our upstream regulators listed out here. We could scroll all the way down. We have our five different data sets that are um, in our comparison analysis here uh, listed across the top all of our different cell types. Now from here, we can do exactly what we did with our canonical pathways. So first things first, let's pop this into a hierarchical sort. So this will bring all of the um, different upstream regulators that are kind of um, performing in similar ways um, to the top of the list here. And then of course, we can always uh, reorder our uh, data sets here. So neuroblast, neurons, permitial, uh, there we go. All right, so very first one here looks super interesting. We have a microRNA that looks like um, it would be, um, it's definitely enriched uh, to be maybe a significant upstream regulator for these data sets. And we can see that it looks like it's probably gonna be um, in an activated state in some of our more immature cell types versus moving towards a less activated state or a more inhibited state in some of our more mature cell types, so on and so forth. Another uh, inter interesting one down here, it looks like we have a chemical that's being called out as something that might be um, causing some of these changes that we see in the data set in the five data sets that is. So we have uh, things moving from a less activated state to a more activated state if this particular chemical um, were introduced into the uh, system here. So as we scroll down the list, you can see that we have a whole bunch of different uh, upstream regulators that we can have a look at and see if maybe they are um, important to our data set and could be contributing to the changes that we see here. So once again, please feel free to utilize our um, filter capabilities here to really zero in on um, upstream regulators that you might find to be important. So let's scroll um, to one that looks like it's kind of interesting. So let's do a call 18A1 uh, here. So I'm gonna go ahead and click into the boxes just like we did for our canonical pathway. And when I do, you'll notice over here on the right-hand side, we'll get a network map that gets displayed that shows our upstream regulator in the middle of the screen here, surrounded by all of the data set molecules that have been measured in our data sets and what they're doing for the individual uh, data set that I have chosen to um, look at. So again, we're looking at neuroblast data sets since it's the first column the uh, upstream regulator network for call 18A1. Here are all the data sets that are kind of surrounding the outside of call uh, 18A1 in the middle here. Looks like most of these guys are being uh, decreased or downregulated with the exception of these two guys that are being upregulated. And that um, overall signal that is being seen is lending itself to show us that it looks like call 18A1 might be an important upstream regulator that is in an activated state for this particular um, data set. 
So as we click through these boxes, you'll notice that things might be changing on the right-hand side here to um, reflect the changes seen across these different data sets. So maybe when we move over into the astrocytes, which are the most differentiated cells, that'll look a lot different than what we saw for our neuroblast. So here we see call 18A1 um, in a predicted inhibited state. And that is due to primarily most of these guys being uh, measured to be upregulated as well as these guys being downregulated here. So that is uh, one way to try to figure out exactly what is maybe driving the biology scene here. We also do have a causal networks tab that I won't be going into today, but you can think of this causal networks tab is um, what if we had even uh, more kind of upstream master regulators? So is there some other molecule that seems to be controlling this call 18A1? Those types of regulators will be unveiled in that causal networks tab and be presented to you exactly like you see here with this heat map type situation. So now let's delve into our network itself and see all of the cool bells and whistles that we can um, employ here. So I'm gonna go once again, just keep um, with the theme of this call 18A1 uh, network here. And I'm gonna go ahead and choose this open network button. And that will open up um, this regulator network to a much bigger uh, screen here where we can look at many more things. So remember, everything here is interactive. So whether you hover over it or double click it, you can find out all sorts of uh, more information about all of the relationships and genes and nodes that we see here today. So a couple things that I wanted to point out to you. So in the overlay toolbox at the top here, there are a ton of very cool and useful overlay functionalities that we can employ here. So what if you wanted to answer the question of, all right, I find out that this is a really important upstream regulator for me. Are there any drugs that are already out there that help modulate the expression of our um, particular upstream regulator or any one of these other molecules in this network here? So in the overlay toolbox, we can go to our drug uh, overlay tool here. So I'm just gonna click on drug. So once again, that's the overlay button. In this little dropdown, we went to our drugs. And here we can look at all of these different uh, drugs that hit different targets in our pathway here. So maybe we wanted to look at something that hits FGFR1. We can click on that. What about a BCL2? And you can see that these little annotations are getting added into this network here. And when we double click them, it'll bring you out to a chemical view page that will give you um, everything that you'd ever wanna know about that particular drug, including what clinical trials it is being used in um, currently or previously. So all of that stuff is at the bottom of the screen here, as well as different targets. If we scroll all the way to the bottom, it looks like this is a very popular drug. So here's a whole bunch of different targets that this hits. And does it inhibit? Is it um, you know, a kinase inhibitor type situation? So that can be very helpful there. Another thing that might be interesting is uh, have any of these been used as 
biomarkers before. So if you're looking to try to tease out different biomarkers from your different data sets, you can see a whole smattering of different diseases that these particular um, genes have participated in as biomarkers, what type of application, and um, what molecules they are targeting here. So once again, if we start clicking these uh, checkboxes, you'll see this information overlaid into our network here with these little annotations. So just by a raise of hands, I would love to see um, who thinks that they might be using this in the future to help out with their interpretation of their data. Right, yeah, I think so too. I think these are really excellent, um, quick and easy to use overlays. So definitely feel free to have a look at the other overlay functionalities that we have in here. There is a ton of good stuff in here. So please um, just acquaint yourself with that overlay function there. So the next thing that I wanted to talk about today is what if we wanted to explore uh, publicly available data that looks similar to what we see um, in terms of expression of this particular network. We can also do this with canonical pathways as well. So maybe I opened up a canonical pathway and I'm viewing the network map for that. So it's the same exact thing that would be doing here for this uh, regulator network here. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna click on this pattern search button. This will take our uh, pattern that we see here on this screen and compare it to all of our publicly available data sets that we have floating around in uh, IPA itself. What we're gonna be presented with is a volcano plot that doesn't look very volcano plot-like, but rest assured it is a volcano plot, where we have plotted on our x-axis a z-score. So remember, a positive z-score is indicating uh, that something is matching and a negative z-score is indicating that something is anti-matching. So matching uh, data sets will be on the right. Anti-matching data sets will be on the left. Remember, this is in uh, matching in reference to what we see on this network map that we click that pattern search button on. On the uh, y-axis, we have our uh, significance values or inverse log p, um, log 10 p-values. So the higher up on that axis, the more significant that matching is. And now each of these individual little dots that are showing up on the data set here are one publicly available data set. So what we can do here is just draw a box around some of the docs, dots that look interesting. So for instance, all of these data sets match that pattern that we saw on our network map um, that I showed you behind this view. And we can get a ton of information about these data sets down below. So how matching are they? What is the overlap? What genes are shared between our data set and the um, data set that's matching? so on and so forth, even what types of comparisons they are. Looks like we have tons of single cell uh, data popping up here, which is interesting since we had um, single cell data that was fed into this analysis to begin with. So here, um, have a look at all of these different features that we have down below. They are all filterable. So maybe you were trying to find uh, specific genes of interest or different comparisons of interest or disease states, so on and so forth. If you wanted to look at an individual data set and have a look at the um, core analysis itself, 
go ahead and give the um, blue uh, title a double click. That will bring you into the uh, core analysis. Or you can click on your view comparison and we'll actually add it into the comparison that we um, have generated before of all of our single cell data sets here. So lots of different ways to look at this. So think of it this way. This activity plot can be very helpful by um, taking the pattern that we see on the screen um, behind here. So I'm just gonna sneak this down a little bit. Say this is the pattern that we see in a disease state sample. Now, when we run our pattern match or a pattern search, all of the um, other matching publicly available data sets will also tend to be um, data sets where something is in a disease state. So this is a very simple and fast way to maybe look at other indications or other cell types that are uh, sharing similar biology to what we saw on that screen before. Now the inverse of that is all of these anti-matching data sets. So we are seeing the opposite signal that we saw on that network map uh, behind this screen here. So those could be situations where um, we have treated um, sample sets. So these are disease states that are kind of moving back towards that normal state of, um, of being, and that could be due to different, um, different treatments or maybe it's uh, different cell types that are just biologically kind of opposite to what you're seeing here. So really useful um, view here to um, have a look at when we're looking at these pattern searches here. Now, the last thing that I wanted to show you guys is going to be our analysis match. So analysis match is available um, to look at when we look at our individual core analyses. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to open up, um, say we are interested in looking at our astrocytes versus our um, neural progenitor cells here. And I'm going to open up our core analysis by um, just very simply double clicking on that analysis in my projects menu here, bring up our core analysis. And if you have any questions about these core analyses, we have lots of other previously recorded information um, in webinars, as well as walkthroughs on these um, core analysis features. But I'm gonna just very quickly snap over to this analysis match tab. What this is gonna do is it's going to take this individual data set, so our astrocytes versus uh, neural progenitor cells, and it's asking the question of how well does this entire analysis match to publicly available analyses. Now it does this based on a few key facets of our analyses. So when we run core analysis, we are generating uh, scores for canonical pathways, upstream regulators, causal networks, and disease enrichment. So what analysis matches is, is doing is it's asking how well do your results from canonical pathways match to our publicly available analyses? How well do upstream regulators and causal networks match to those public analyses? How well does disease enrichment match? So when we go into IPA, we are presented with um, something that looks kind of heat mappy, where we have our matching Z scores for canonical pathways, upstream regulators, causal networks, disease enrichment, and then just this average overall Z score as well as this new column where we are just very simply asking the question of how well do our genes match 
to our publicly available data sets when we're looking at it without a lens of something like a canonical pathway or an upstream regulator, so on and so forth. So definitely reach out to us if you want more information on that. So what I'm going to do here is I'm just going to utilize our um, our filter icon in the overall Z-score uh, column here. And I'm just going to apply a uh, arbitrary filter of, say, 45. That will bring us all of our data sets that have an absolute value of 45. Uh, more or less into uh, view here. So it looks like we have a lot of data sets that have a positive Z-score that are indicating that they are matching to our entire analysis of that astrocytes versus NPCs. But then when we get to the bottom of the screen here, you'll see some blue popping up. So these are all situations where we are anti-matching to our astrocytes versus NPCs here. So indicated by the blue color and the negative uh, overall Z-score here. So once again, we can either double click on some of these uh, titles here to open up the core analysis, or you can grab, say, a few of them that you're interested in um, looking at and then use the view comparison to set up a comparison analysis to put them all alongside maybe your data sets that you wanna look at to see um, exactly how these data sets are um, matching or anti-matching on a uh, deeper level here. So um, once again, just kind of reiterating the fact of, you know, these analyses, um, analysis match can be very helpful in trying to find maybe other indications or other cell types that are sharing a lot of similar biology with what you're studying. And again, if you're looking, say, at a disease state type uh, data set, when we see anti-matching situations, that could elucidate a bunch of different drug, um, drug uh, candidates that could be used in your um, disease of interest here. So with that, I am uh, going to end today's webinar. So we've gone over a lot of things. I just wanted to quickly review everything um, with you. We went through the plugin to get our data from CLC into IPA. We then had a look at how to um, set up a comparison analysis where we took all of our individual data sets and were able to look at them all side by side and extract what was biologically uh, meaningful from those data sets. We had to look at all of our canonical pathways, our upstream regulators. We saw all of those cool tools that we have for um, overlays, if you're looking for different drugs or biomarkers. And then finally, I showed you how to take your data set and match it or anti-match it to things that are publicly available um, to review in IPA. So now with that, I would love to um, open up the floor to any additional questions that might have risen up uh, throughout the webinar. And I definitely want to thank you guys for your attention. I know this was um, you know, quite the daunting kind of uh, part one and part two. So please provide us with some feedback, um, especially through SurveyMonkey, you're able to um, add a little bit more context to that feedback to see if this type of format is something that you would like to see in the future where we split it up into our different individual um, softwares here. So I'll start uh, chatting and hand this over to Deb to see if we have any other questions. Thank you, Kristen. Um, we have pasted 
sorry, I have pasted a link in the chat box for SurveyMonkey. And that is because oftentimes users like to provide us with feedback, feedback about something that they might have liked about the presentation, something that we should do differently or include in future trainings, any type of feedback. So please, uh, if time permits, do so. The link is again in the chat box. Kristen, many, many questions came up, all right? So let's try to tackle like at least uh, some of them. Heat map. Uh, one of the attendees asked this question, how do you export a portion of heat maps, such as certain pathways that are activated and certain pathways that are inactivated in the same group of samples? Absolutely. So that would be a case where you would want to uh, potentially use some filtering here. So we can filter to the canonical pathways of your interest or filter maybe to the top express pathways or the top uh, differentially um, you know, regulated pathways, so on and so forth. So once you've filtered into the pathways that you want to see, you can utilize our little export button over here to get your picture. Or if you wanted to um, just have the Excel sheet, you can do that as well. Wonderful. Um, the other thing is something you went over, right? So one attendee specifically uh, referred to your slide number 28. You don't need to go there, but basically that's the slide with activity map, uh, activity plot, pattern search, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. And they were asking like, hey, can you go into that? But this is something you did go into. If you want to elaborate further, I'll open the floor to you. But if not, then I'll move on to the other question. Yeah, so just really quickly to kind of um, put all of that in a nice little nutshell, we're able to match your data to publicly available data on three um, different levels. So the first level would be, where else do I see a single entity or one canonical pathway in an activated state versus an inhibited state. So looking at that one thing, or we can open up that pathway and say, where do I see a similar signal across this entire pathway of all of these genes and proteins that participate in the pathway? Where do I see that out in publicly available data? So that's taking a collection of things. So whether that's a canonical pathway or an upstream regulator network, I'm comparing it to our publicly available data. And then that last one, that analysis match, is taking your entire data set and matching it on those four key aspects. So the canonical pathways, our upstream regulators, our causal networks, and disease enrichment. So that's really taking your entire analysis and matching it towards everything that is available out there and publicly available data in IPA. So hopefully that kind of added a little bit more context and color to that question. Wonderful. Um, how can one explore data sets that are in IPA and in the particular area of their research? Absolutely. So one of the um, other cool facets about uh, IPA is this really handy search uh, bar at the top here. So when we use that search uh, box at the top here, we can look for a whole smattering of different things. So one of them being data sets and analyses. So say you wanted to look for sarcoma uh, data sets. All you're gonna do is just type in sarcoma, click on search, and that will uh, give you a huge list usually of different data sets that are available in IPA um, for you to have a look at, along with all of the uh, metadata information. So what are these different uh, analyses looking at? So on and so forth. 
Remember, you can always filter this stuff to really get at um, what you're trying to look at. So maybe you don't want to see Ewing sarcoma. You can filter that out and get to um, some other sarcoma type that you want to look at. So that's a really easy way to um, review what we have in IPA for publicly available data. All right, and I'm seeing that there are some IPA certification related questions that are coming in. Uh, for this, I'll request our um, team to reach out to the specific attendees who are asking questions. You know, some of them are about things like cost and whatnot. So uh, it, it is best then uh, if we do it outside of this training and we'll make sure we reach out to you and provide you with the necessary information. Um, another thing that, I actually want to go ahead and simply um, announce, and this is based on something that one of the attendees wrote in one of the question. So there is often a misconception about activity prediction in IPA. So Kristen showed like a very good example. Kristen, can you please go back to that slide where you had like matching and anti-matching um, uh, pattern? So there is a misconception that equal weight is given to all of these, right? And the attendee raised the point that like, but not all relationship, not all genes are equally important. Like some can be key genes in a given pathway or regulatory network and more weight should be given, uh, given to those. So our team does put more weight on select relationships compared to other, but that more weight is based on number of findings. And this is where I don't wanna provide you guys with the wrong information. So to those of you who are interested in nitty gritty like this, just reach out to us. There is a white paper that product manager uh, brought to my attention and we can provide you uh, with that white paper. And in that white paper, you know, I think, uh, I really hope I don't mess this up, but basically, this is what the product manager uh, pasted to me in a message. So less weight is put on edges with fewer findings or ambiguous direction of regulation. So our team does, you know, uh, is mindful of things like this. So it's not like, you know, it's some sort of robot where we treat everything equal. So, uh, yeah. And to those of you who had no idea, like what I just talked about, don't worry. Uh, this is something again, like, you know, we can sort out in like follow-up one-on-ones or uh, interactions and uh, whatnot. Um, let's see, maybe one more question. Where can I find out what all of the shapes mean on a network map? Yeah, absolutely. So let's go back to IPA here. So uh, the secret decoder ring is what I like to call it. So that's gonna be up here in the help menu. When we scroll down in the help menu, that's gonna be in our legend um, section. So that'll pop open a web browser that will give you a list of everything that you see in IPA, what exactly it means. So have that printed out or bookmarked or what have you um, for um, next to wherever you're doing your analysis here. So. Again, that's where that secret decoder uh, ring lives. And you can see what all of those network maps mean. Okay, wonderful. Um, I think at this point we have covered all the questions we have answered live. Uh, others, if we did not answer them live, we definitely uh, wrote in the Q&A box. If any of you feel that uh, we should be answering more questions live, uh, we'll wait about one more minute 
So everyone has an opportunity to type whatever they were typing or finish up typing whatever they're typing. And we'll make sure that we answer all the questions live before we end the call. But otherwise, thank you so much for attending this training. Thank you uh, very much, Kristen, for making this wonderful presentation and splitting this into two-part training so you can go into details for both CLC and IPA. Hopefully, this was more details that uh, many of you wanted. If not, as we have repeatedly emphasized, reach out to us. You have technical support email address. You have uh, sales email address. You have my email address. Uh, and we can make sure that all of your questions get answered. If need be, you know, we can set up like follow-up trainings and uh, whatnot. And also thank you, Kyle and Invisat for answering questions. I know, Kyle, you've been very busy typing answers to many of the questions that came in. And I do also want to give a plug here. If you didn't review part one of this uh, webinar series, have a look at it. There's a lot of really cool information in that CLC um, tutorial there. So definitely um, have a look at that. And I thank you guys for, for joining. Very happy to see all of the participation too. Thank you so much.